The Rural Health Voice, Episode 80, Veterans Health. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Rural America has a proud history of volunteering for military service. How can we return the favor and take care of our veterans? Paul Cruz, Executive Director of Veterans Administration Mid-Atlantic Healthcare Network, joined me to discuss the resources he can offer. So welcome, Paul. Well, thank you very much. Great to be with you, Beth. How did you first get involved in veterans health? Um, You know, it it really goes back to... uh, my having been in the military. Uh, I was a hospital corpsman or a medic in the Navy uh, back in the 80s and early 90s. And after uh, getting out of the military and uh, going back to school, uh, I uh, came out and um, started working in the private sector and, and then realized that you know there's this other opportunity for me to give back to my country. And I decided to uh, look at jobs in the Department of Veteran Affairs where I could uh, go back and help my federal veterans. So as a corpsman, you've really seen this from every angle. <laughs> yes, I have actually. And and even before I was a corpsman, I uh, grew up in Texas and I started off my, I guess I could say my career as uh, an emergency medical technician in a uh, rural uh, community fire department uh, working out in uh, just outside of Austin, Texas, uh, for a volunteer fire department. So uh, working in rural areas and especially emergency medical services uh, really uh, bit me, I guess, and, and, and got me thinking about a, a career in service and a career in healthcare. And you are the executive director of the Veterans Administration Mid-Atlantic Healthcare Network. What is the Mid-Atlantic Healthcare Network? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So the the Veterans Administration Mid Atlantic Health Network is kind of is kind of like a, a region. Uh, there are eighteen regions across uh, the Veterans Health Administration uh, in uh, the United States, and I am oversee I oversee excuse me uh, all of the VA facilities in uh, Virginia and North Carolina. So that's a seven healthcare systems. So that's a pretty big service area. It is. It is. It's. Uh, it's been a big jump, uh, <laughs> and it's a, a lot of different balls to uh, keep in the air and to make sure that uh, that our medical centers uh, in our communities uh, have everything they need and the resources uh, to be able to provide services to our veterans. Are there complications with trying to provide services in multiple states? You know, luckily, uh, it's not as bad as if you're in uh, the private sector and private industry. Uh, We being a federal entity, uh, we have what's called federal supremacy. So uh, there are a lot of things like like the licensing boards for nurses or physicians uh, that while we still require our professional staff to have those licenses, they can have a valid license from anywhere in the United States, and that meets our requirement. And um, so there's not that big of a problem dealing with that. We all, uh, at each of our medical centers, uh, of course, uh, are required to follow the Joint Commission uh, and and their uh, um, 
standards, uh, but we do not fall under uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So we're not under the, the federal uh, health care oversight or the state health care oversight. We only deal with uh, our federal offices. So as opposed to maybe a, a hospital system that has facilities in more than one state, you aren't dealing with those individual state regulations. That is correct, but we have to be mindful of them, uh, especially when it comes to uh, full practice authority, which, uh, for instance, uh, in my network, uh, North Carolina uh, does not have full uh, practice uh, authority for our nurse practitioners or our uh, physician assistants, uh, but we do uh, monitor that. But then also there are requirements that the state uh where we have to look at uh, their prescribing ability for even if they do uh, have that full practice authority, there are certain requirements that the state will not allow them to prescribe narcotics, for example. And you talked about, you know, having a license in one state means that you can work, you know, anywhere with the VA. And I would see that being a be big benefit if, if you're a physician or a nurse, you know, having that license and being able to be more mobile, as opposed to I, I remember when my cousin moved out of state, she had to retake um, the li her medical license. And she's like, the body didn't change when I crossed state lines. How is how is this valid? Are, are there other benefits you see of being a VA employee in the healthcare field? Yeah, I think there are. Um, so uh, first is exactly that, is that if as long as you maintain, uh, and usually it's that licensure of origin for when you started, as long as you, you have a valid license in any state, that you are pretty mobile. So you can move uh, throughout the, uh, we actually have over 175 different uh, health systems uh, across uh, the nation and the Veterans Administration. So it gives you that mobility. Uh, it also protects you when it comes to liability. Uh, you are protected under the Federal Liabilities uh, Torts Claim Act. So an individual can't uh, file anything against you or a claim against you. It's actually against the federal government. So it gives you a little bit of that. And then there are also other benefits. And, and I think some of those are, um, you know, about where our funding comes from. So it allows us to focus a little bit more on quality of care and, uh, and breadth of service. Uh, we don't have to worry as much uh, about that bottom line or a margin. Actually, we don't have margins. We are uh, um, funded through appropriations. Uh, and so we actually have to complete all and expend all those monies that we got through our appropriations. So um, while we uh, have to be stewards of our taxpayers' money, which, which we have a lot of things that keep an eye on us with that, uh, we're not quite as tight, and it gives us the opportunity to try different things, see if we want to pilot or try different quality initiatives. And it's really kind of exciting to have that flexibility. So do VA employees have to be veterans themselves, or do you prefer veterans, or is it, you know, whoever's qualified, come on? Yeah, so they do not have to, uh, especially for nurses and clinicians, uh, they do not have to be veterans. Uh, I would say that about 30, on average, about 30 to 35% of employees in uh, Veterans Administration uh, health systems are veterans themselves. Uh, but they do not, our nurses and our clinicians uh, do not have to be veterans. And even some of our administrative folks don't have to be veterans. Uh, so we're, we're open to all. What do you see as the biggest needs for Americans' veterans? 
You know, I think it's the most important thing is, uh, first off, is to have our veterans recognize that the Department of Veteran Affairs is around. Uh, as an example here, and, and today I'm speaking to you from North Carolina, in, the, in this state, uh, we um, have about 355,000 veterans that are enrolled in healthcare with the VA. But we also have another 370,000 veterans that are not. Uh, and, and that is by choice often, but there are so many services that we provide uh, for veterans. It's above and beyond what you would expect from uh, uh, your healthcare uh, employer, or excuse me, your employer in the healthcare benefits. Um, we provide everything, <laughs> I, I joke often, uh, from, from jobs to cars uh, to vaccinations to transplants uh, and, and all sorts of things that uh, our veterans qualify for. And a lot of times they don't know that those services are available to them. So I think our greatest concern is making sure that the veterans who leave the military or, or in rural communities know that there is a resource out there for them to provide them uh, with uh, health care uh, and to improve their well-being. So that's a bigger thing than just about their health. Um, but I think we struggle uh, with the same things. You know, I, I, I go back to living in, in rural Virginia uh, and, and working for Riverside Health System in a rural community and thinking about how the struggles that we had and struggles you and I have talked about, uh, about uh, uh, staffing in medical facilities in rural hospitals and rural clinics and so forth. And we struggle with that as well. Uh, and that's concerning to me for the veterans that do live in our rural communities. Uh, and one of the things that is nice here at the VA is that we can uh, reach out and put services out into our rural communities to make sure that they have services. But it's still a struggle for us. And I'm concerned about the how fragile our staffing is in these rural communities because it's a that problem of recruiting folks into those rural communities. And we know for all of our rural communities, recruiting staff, retaining staff is, is a big challenge. What other issues do you see in serving rural veterans? So I think um, some of the concerns are making sure that they have uh, the available specialty care services. Uh, in you know, and I think that's that's something that we also see uh, for our non-veteran populations. Uh, but making sure that they have access to uh, specialized and highly specialized healthcare, um, we have been able to bridge that a little bit uh, here recently by using uh, different modalities of care, and specifically uh, using telehealth. Um, VA has been using telehealth for a number of years, but something that uh, really lit a fire under us was COVID. And uh, as we started to reduce the face-to-face -face, uh, visits, we started really reaching out and trying many different things. We've been doing uh, telemental health for a long time uh, and providing those services. Uh, usually it was bringing somebody into a clinic. They'd sit down in front of a monitor with a camera on it, and they'd be speaking to somebody in a medical center uh, in a more urban population uh, and getting those services. Uh, we now, at least in the mental health area, uh, we are now have technology that's been developed over the last two years where we will reach out directly to uh, a veteran's telephone 
and it's called VA Video Connect, and it allows us to have a remote provider uh, be able to engage with a veteran on their cell phone uh, at scheduled times, and it can also be done uh, as needed, so if there is an urgent need. And we're seeing that we saw actually over the last two years that that modality is now being transferred into not only primary care for as much as we can. You know, there's still those needs to to check blood pressures and to foot exams and, and all the different things uh, that we want to make sure we get uh, in our primary care visits. But we're seeing this now also be used for uh, post-op visits uh, and also with physical therapy, remote physical therapy, where a physical therapist can walk uh, a, a veteran through uh, their exercise routine or their therapy and actually watch them and see what's going on. A comment that I will hear from some rural health care providers is that the VA clinics are, are too far away. So the veterans in a local community will use a local clinic, but then the clinic isn't reimbursed properly because the veteran is supposed to use the VA services. Is that something you hear? Yes, it is, sadly. Uh, it is a complex uh, situation. Uh, we um, um, are working with our community providers to make sure that we clear up some of these issues of provider payment and making sure that they they get the funds. Uh, we've actually, uh, we have what's called a third-party administrator uh, here on the East Coast, uh, that's Optum. Um, and um, we have been working hard uh, with them and actually here in the last year have seen some real success in uh, engaging uh, with those providers to make sure that they understand our coding mechanisms. It's not exactly the same uh, as what you would expect uh, in the uh, private sector. Uh, and so those are scrutinized and sometimes there are some issues. And uh, we've now put in place uh, provider relations uh, staff who actually engage with those um, uh, providers, those community partners of ours, to make sure that uh, they understand how to use the billing software and how to submit the claims. Um, but you're right. Um, one of the things we're trying to do is to make sure that uh, veterans can uh, get health care uh, relatively close to themselves. The, the uh, kind of legacy system of how uh, Veterans Administration uh, hospitals were deployed across the nation uh, is they were in these urban centers located close to academic uh, teaching facilities, uh, health systems. And that meant that our veterans would have to travel long distances uh, to get services, get care. We do have what are called community-based outpatient clinics that we have been deploying over the last number of years to make sure we try to get primary care and mental health closer uh, to the veterans. But we've heard our veterans. They want to make sure that they uh, can get other services within an hour uh, of, of their home. And, and I agree with that. Um, if I'm going to have a GI procedure, I really don't want to have to drive uh, multiple hours to get there and have to have somebody take me back and forth and so forth. I'd like to be able to have that service closer to home uh, where I don't have that burden on me. So we do contract with uh, local providers to provide those services. And it really depends on where you're located and what the availability is in the VA system about getting uh, veterans um, qualified for getting that care in the community and having that choice in where they're getting their care. So in addition to the distance between VA services, are there other 
barriers that veterans experience in receiving VA care? You know, there, there are a lot, uh, just like uh, the barriers that we have uh, in, in, in the private sector uh, with transportation. Uh, our veterans are aging, and many of them can't drive anymore. So it's about making sure that we have transportation systems that support getting the veteran to the care that they need. Um, so those are big things, uh, making sure that they have uh, high specialty, highly specialized care that's uh, accessible to them out in those areas. Uh, those are challenges that we're still working on, and we're actually looking at new models now where we may be putting more specialized care out into these smaller clinics um, on a rotation basis or something like that from the main medical center, just to make sure that we can provide the care where the veteran needs it uh, closer to home. Um, so looking forward to some of those changes coming down the path. What recommendations do you have for communities who want to do a better job addressing the needs of their veterans? Hmm. You know, uh, I think there's a, a lot of different things. Um, first off is being receptive to veterans, and I think a lot of our communities are that they just don't quite understand uh, what to do. Uh, the Department of Veteran Affairs uh, is, has had what are called Community Veteran Engagement Boards where the community uh, can come together with an, a, a veteran engagement board, which is bringing together veterans and community members in these communities to work towards improvement of services and to uh, identify issues that need to be addressed, to develop new ideas for care, and have that communi back, communicated back to the VAs. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just left a meeting uh, just, just before this, uh, talking, uh, in, in, at least in the state of North Carolina, I'm doing it again next week in Virginia, uh, to talk with uh, the leadership of uh, veteran service organizations, communities, county commissioners, and the, uh, uh, the secretaries of veteran affairs for, uh, for our states uh, to talk about how we can improve those communities. Right now, we're working on a program here in Virginia, excuse me, here in North Carolina uh, called uh, Building Veteran Healthy Communities, where one of our goals is to um, develop a model where uh, communities can build uh, resource infrastructures and kind of, uh, I would say, early warning systems where uh, a veteran uh, may start to have a problem and, and maybe a, fa a family member who's been trained by this uh, Building Veteran Healthy Communities program would recognize that a social determinant of health may have failed and that the veteran may be heading into crisis. And uh, we want to make sure that family members, co-workers, uh, faith-based organizations, academic institutions, places where veterans are, that they can recognize this and help turn veterans towards resources in the Department of Veteran Affairs so that we can help that veteran before they get into a full-blown mental health crisis or the worst, uh, heading down that lane uh, towards uh, suicide. So we're trying to work as much as we can to build this model that engages our communities to be sentinels, to help us identify problems in enrolled and unenrolled veterans, uh, so, and then turn them to these resources uh, to really you know, embrace uh, our veterans and make sure that we take care of them. I was at an event recently that spoke to the need for cultural competency training for healthcare professionals working with veterans. Do you feel such training is important? You know, I, I, I really do. 
Um, having been uh, around veterans now for over 30 years, um, people who've gone into the military um, have a very different experience. And some people have had uh, some really traumatic experiences that they most likely may not talk about. Um, they have, uh, many have uh, gone and worked 20 years uh, for the military and then worked in a structure uh, that is difficult for uh, laymen to understand. A lot of the jobs of military folks uh, are different from those jobs that you see uh, in the community, in the majority of the community, uh, from uh, working on ships and working with uh, chemicals and firefighting major equipment, uh, working inside of tanks, uh, jumping out of aircraft. Uh, a lot of these things cause injuries and trauma and and can have mental health impacts uh, that our lay population are not exposed to. So I really do feel that um, a provider, healthcare provider, who has some understanding uh, of the environment, of uh, the experience that our veterans have gone through, uh, as well as understanding how uh, maybe to talk to a veteran uh, because they're used to this structure and they're used to, to uh, a certain way of life uh, when they were in the military. I think it'll go a long way in improving communication, uh, a long way in recognizing uh, the, uh, the origins of some of the complaints that they may be concerned or, or talking about right now. For instance, one of the things I, I just saw the other day that I thought was a great experience uh, for a veteran is... Uh, he was in a community provider's office. Uh, this community provider had gone through one of these cultural competency, uh, uh, military competency, cult military cultural competency, excuse me, and uh, was trained on issues of uh, the Vietnam War and what they were exposed to in the Vietnam War. And thinking in that mindset, this provider recognized the signs and symptoms of um, pre-cancer uh, that a veteran was uh, exhibiting. Uh, so it's linking those, making those kinds of links uh, that I think really uh, is a benefit for our veterans. Mm -hmm. And I would also think that if a veteran feels that they can trust their health care provider, that's going to improve communication as well. That's correct. If they can kind of speak a little bit of the language or if they can say, hey, I've been through this, so I, I, I may not fully understand it, but I've been exposed to it. And then they can have a much better communications and build that trust. Now, in addition to your current role, you are also a former board member of the Virginia Rural Health Association. And we thank you for that. Why do you think it's important for people working with subsets of the general population, such as veterans, to be involved in rural health leadership? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I <laughs> that experience uh, working for the Virginia Rural Health Association uh, really has uh, had a great impact on me in my career um, as a healthcare provider. Uh, I'm responsible for regions uh, and, and areas and markets that are often urban and rural. And I think having that understanding of the rural perspective uh, brings a lot to the table uh, when we're uh, oftentimes having discussions and we think about the largest population, which may be these urban populations, and we forget about our 
rural part or, or rural veteran, excuse me, rural patients uh, that are out there and struggling. And and it is a totally different world uh, to get healthcare in the rural community. There's travel involved. There's a lack of services. There's trying to make sure that you have the logistics to provide those services. Uh, and, and just a whole litany of things that, that having been involved uh, in the Rural Health Association uh, has really, uh, like I said, uh, given me that opportunity to understand the, the rural perspective and make sure that that's spoken to uh, at our meetings, at our conferences, and, and how we plan and strategize for the future. If a veteran needs your services or someone wants to help a loved one that is a veteran, what's the best way for them to connect to the system? You know, uh, one easy way is to uh, just search va.gov online, and there is an opportunity there for you to uh, ask for health care. Uh, and it will then ask you where you live, and then it will give you information about your local Department of Veteran Affairs Medical Center, uh, where you can reach out and talk to uh, benefits and enrollment and have that veteran uh, go through the process. It's not a, a really stringent process. You do need to have your DD-214, which is a uh, it's Department of Defense form that every veteran gets when they're discharged. They'll need that information. They'll also ask a few questions. It's kind of a little bit of a means test uh, to try to, to, to make sure that we enroll you in the right category. Um, if you don't have availability to do that, you can reach out to uh, your county um, service officer with the uh, uh, Virginia Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, each county has a veteran service officer. You can usually get a hold of them on the county website, and uh, they can help you enroll as well. Last question, question I ask all my guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? Well, that is a, it's a really, that's a really good question. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, the best thing that I can do, and I know that I'm engaging in this now is, uh, working with communities to build networks, uh, resource networks, uh, and strengthening our partnerships amongst all the stakeholders uh, in rural communities. Uh, because uh, a rural community cannot do it by themselves. Uh, right this day and age, you're going to have to connect up with somebody else to make sure that you have that full complement of service uh, and that we engage our 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 patients in uh, fully understanding how to get all the array of services. So if you have not uh, been working in your community to work with your larger community of uh, your county, or even if it's a region, uh, and then I think you're not going to be able to advise and educate our patients on how they can best uh, get the service they need. Well, thank you, Paul. We appreciate you joining us today. Well, it's been really great to talk to you, Beth. It's been a number of years since we've had a chance to talk. So it's, uh, I really enjoyed this today. That's Paul Cruz encouraging to work on the community level to make sure everyone is connected to services. We want to connect you to our upcoming event. Join us in Shenandoah County, August 6th for our next Pride of Rural Virginia Community Conversation. For details, visit our website at vrha.org 
and click on the Pride logo at the bottom of the page. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.